afternoon. You're listening to Austin Monitor Radio on KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM. Radio for people, not for profit. We are streaming online at koop.org. I'm your host and reporter for the Austin Monitor, Jesse Devenins. And with me today, we have our editor, Liz Pagano. Hello. And just as a reminder for all you listeners, more information about the stories we discussed today can be found at austinmonitor.com. Austin has a history of inequitable policies. One of the most infamous examples of these policies is probably the 1928 Master Plan. But it's been nearly 100 years since that zoning document was released, and we're here a century later, and conversations about equity are still circulating around City Hall and across the city. To help us dive into some of these conversations um, in the modern context of Austin and what makes it necessary to continue to address the, equi- the question of equity, we have Chaz Moore. He is the founder and executive director of the Austin Justice Coalition. Thanks so much for coming on to the show today, Chaz. Thank you all for having me. Of course. Um, let's just jump into it. So the Austin Justice Coalition was founded in 2015. Yes, yes. And uh, I was wondering if you could just explain to me what spurred this organization into life um yeah and 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 you would think you know five years i I would have this down to a t but it it always (laughs) kind of changes um but basically we were born out of the black lives matter movement um and we really loved the passion and the energy that came with the movement the protests and the rallies but um we really wanted to create um lasting change and to us that that looked like policy work that looked like you know changing systems as much as we could so um, you know, we became the, the, the black nerdy group that would do the not so sexy work and sit at the tables that people, um, I would say increasingly don't want to sit at. And I, I get that, but still somebody has to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think, I think that's our role. Um, and I think we, I think we've done pretty good at that. So yeah, you're addressing equity or inequities, depending yeah. on which way you're looking at this in city policy, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain your approach to this and if there are any specific tables that you sit at and are concentrated on? Well, you know, for the longest, we um, we were really like the police watchdog group, the criminal justice reform group. Um, and, you know, we made some some major headwinds with the police union contract mm-hmm. um, issue. Um, and, you know, that was the first time in the country that um, a grassroots advocate, activist-led uh, movement actually um, prevented um, a police union contract from being passed. And unanimously. Def- yeah, unanimously, um, right? Um, but now we, we're noticing that when you start looking at the in-betweens of criminal justice, right, um, a lot of people that are impacted through the criminal justice system are now um, impacted economically. They're impacted through with education. Um, if they have kids, it's, a, it's all kind of things that are happening. Um, housing is one of the biggest barriers that um, can – can, can be a, a factor if you've gone through the criminal justice system. So now, um, you know, we're doing housing. Like, we, we have a, a really good team, um, Ja Paulo and um, Kendra Garrett, who's doing the Land Development Code, um, rewrite as much of it um, <laughs> as, as hard as that job is, um, which I, would, I wouldn't trade with them any given day. I would always do the police stuff. Um, but, you know, we want to make sure that we bring justice to that arena. We have Amber Watts, who's doing... Um, education justice to make sure that um, in 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 lieu of school closings that we still have a, a as much of a, an equitable lens on um, policies when it comes to AIZ. So you know we're, we're just branching out to make sure that again Austin can really live up to um, this this 
um, I got some nice background music. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, to, to make sure Austin Caleb to live up to this liberal progressive um, claim that, that, that we've been waving for years. So, you know, just really doing a little bit of everything to make sure that um, everybody has a fair shake and a fair shot. So how many of there are you now in the organization? Um, so so my, my, my leadership team is about eight or nine, um, and our volunteers are, you know, all over the place. So I would say somewhere in the hundreds, if not thousands at this point. Okay, mm-hmm. that's definitely bigger than I, I normally see your guys' faces around. So. Yeah, 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 you know, we have a lot of people behind the scenes, so. I imagine. But since you, like you said, started with as the police watchdogs, and that mm-hmm. seems to be where I see your face most frequently, I figured we could start with uh, that conversation since there's been a lot going on with the Austin Police Department. Uh, one thing that was has been in the news lately mm-hmm. are the accusations of racism. And in particular, there were complaints against the former assistant chief, Justin Newsom, and he abruptly resigned following Mm -hmm. these allegations. There was assistant chief, Troy Gay, and then assistant chief, Jennifer Stevenson. And to address this, the city manager launched an investigation into this matter. And how do you view this investigation? How has it been going? Um, That nobody knows. Um, You know, it's a very um, internal, very closed off process. you know, apparently the the lady that um, city manager Crunk hired is is awesome. Um, you know, I've, I've read about her credentials. I read about her. You know, just her her background. She seems very awesome and thorough. Um, but you know, nobody outside of I believe um, Crunk's. You know, uh, well, I think Crunk is the only person that knows that knows how this investigation um, is going. I don't think city council knows. I mean, definitely we the community don't know, but. Um, Kronk has said that um, some preliminary findings from the Chief Newsom investigation should be out um, sometime this month. So, you know, we're just waiting to see what that looks like and um, hopefully, you know, get get some word back so we can know what we um, need to start working on to, to make the police department as best as it can be. And we've heard rumblings about pushback from internally in the course of this investigation. Do mm-hmm. you think that overall what is going to be produced is going to be a thorough examination of what's going on you, you know I think um, I think the 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 optimism in me hopes so um, but I'm also very aware of of Austin's um, history and culture when it comes to these type of things right we do investigations we do the workshops and, and the work groups and the, the studies and, and all these things um, and it's it, it always repeats what we already know. Um, so, you know, again, I don't think anything um, new is going to come out. And I'm hoping some substantial com- um, some substantial stuff comes out. But also, you know, you have to keep in mind, um, a couple weeks ago, we, we had to stand up at a press conference and talk about how black officers and brown officers and officers in the LBGTQIA community um, who are trying to call out some of these, you know, systems and some of these issues in the police department are now being accused of being racist themselves, right? So, you, you know, you have black people that are calling out racist white people, and then the white people that are accused of racism are calling the black people racist for accusing them of racism. So it's like now if, 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 if people are being accused and now we have to launch, you know, an investigation on the person just because apparently that's the rule. If anybody says you do something, we have to investigate it. So now people are literally in like a pseudo gag order to where you can't talk because 
you're under investigation for the very same thing the department is under investigation for. So, and I say that to say, how can you really get the full story if people can't talk? Yeah. Or how do you get the full how, how do you get the full story if people feel that the moment I speak out, I'm going to be retaliated against, right? Because you know, these people still need a job, right? Mm-hmm. Like they still need to pay this highest rent we have in in Austin. So, it's just like do do I stand up and do the right thing and risk it all, which I hope they do, but I also understand if these people just want to you know, just shut up and go along to get along so they can keep their job. So um, hopefully she she's able to do the best job she can. But also, you know, we are aware that it has been some efforts to retaliate. Um, and I think that could um, be a pseudo way, a pseudo tactic to um, nullify this investigation as, as, you know, as best they can. Worst case scenario, and this is nullified, there mm-hmm. is – Another one upcoming city council in December passed a resolution to initiate a mother multi-pronged investigation into Austin Police Department and its officers for similar reasons, allegations of racism, Mm -hmm. homophobia, misconduct. Um, But this will not be initiated until this this investigation right now Mm -hmm. is concluded. And do you think this secondary investigation will turn up different results or take a different approach? Again, you know, I'm 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 um, I'm hopeful um, because you know we look at what um, the good folks at Plainview Project, the Plainview Project has have been able to do. Right, they've done some um, really good work in 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 um, digging through social media accounts of. Um, police officers, and, you know, they found some pretty egregious stuff. Um, in Dallas, I think just last week, 13 officers were uh, reprimanded for having some crazy, weird, you know, sexist and racist stuff. Um, and Philly was one of the most um, shocking cases, if you will, where 90 cops were, you know, fired uh, because they had some racist stuff that was found through Plainview Project. So, um, again, you know, I think because we are taking a long time, and I, I think because um, the officers know what's what's coming, um, I think they are, you know, pro- probably or possibly finding ways to scrub their accounts, which, again, is, is like that automatically um, deteriorates, like, the, the findings that could have happened from the investigation because things seem to be taking a long time. But, um, and, and, you know, to be fair, you know, I think a lot of people, well, I, you know, these Twitter trolls that, that are coming out the woodworks for me these days, um, you know, they think I hate cops. And it's, it's, I don't hate cops. Do we have an institution that is inherently flawed? Absolutely. I will never back down from that opinion. Um, do we have um, inherently flawed people in that institution? Absolutely. And those are the people that, um, that I'm concerned about, right? Like, if, you, if you're going to be racist— and being a racist institution, like, we can't have that cocktail, right? Like, that's like Everclear and Thunderbird for, for the people <laughs> that, you know, that would get that that um, that um that metaphor. But, you know, so it's like it's okay or I'm willing to work with good people in an institution because I think good people can fix, um, you know, bad institutions. But um, the people that are out here that have biases and have prejudice um, against people of color or women or people because of sex orientation – those are people that we have to call the red flags out and, and do some work about and get them out of the department. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, hopefully, again, I hope the large investigation um, does weed out the bad apples. And, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, me and, and uh, Ken Cassidy, we don't always agree about everything. But, um, he's he's a he's a he's a weird friend and a foe I have these days. But we we both agree that um, there's no room in the police department for 
um, people that have those type of biases and those type of prejudice. So, you know, I think he wants to find out who those people are just as bad as I do. And, yeah, I'm curious specifically about this upcoming investigation because a portion of it asks for a review of the training materials and the procedures that are taught to incoming cadets. Um, so before they even become institutionalized within mm -hmm. this system. So why do you think it's important to focus on the training and the incoming officers as well as who is already in the department? Yeah, and again, you know, I mean, it's funny because we just talked about this, but, you know, this this goes back to my meme about the dog drinking his coffee in a burning house. It's just like, you know, if I'm another dog walking by um, and I see this this little pup in this, in this burning house, I probably wouldn't want to go in there um, until the fire is out, right? So... To me, it doesn't make sense that if we know we have internal and external issues within the police department, um, I think to me it only makes sense that we um, get under the microscope, under the lens, and redo as much as we can to make sure incoming cadets um, can, can change the culture of the police department, right? So if we know we are, we are here where we are now, that means something that we've done over the last forever since the police department has been in existence hasn't worked. Um, and that means that we brought in cadets again and again and again, and these are probably good people. Um, but because the institutional um, insides were so inundated and or maybe not inundated, outdated and, and not um, updated to 21st century policing like the Obama administration talks about, um, you know, we get the same results. So, like, how do we change the process in which people come in through the academy um, to make sure we're getting different results, right? So, like, you know, to me it just makes sense that how you practice is how you play, right? So if we're, you know, uh, what was that, a couple years ago where the cadets who left the academy were saying that they had this warrior versus, you know, protector mentality? Mm -hmm. Like, we need to change that. Like, why do we still have that, right? Um, that's not what people want from police in 2020. Um, well, a, a lot of us don't want that. I'm sure some people do. But, um, and, and again, until we, tr like, change um, the inner workings of these institutions and systems, we'll always get the same results. So um, I think, personally, that's why that's important. To, so hopefully we can start changing some of these, you know, disproportionate arrests and outcomes that we see year in and year out from every report from the OPO all the way to, you know, TCJC with their report that just came out. Mm -hmm. um, the reports always say the same thing, and that's because we're not changing, like, how we, like how we practice, right? So, you know, um, hopefully we'll see. So you say the data is always showing the same thing, and uh, let, just so our listeners are mm -hmm. aware, there was um, a report that came out last week, and it was from the city's Office of Police Oversight, Office of Innovation, and the Equity Office. And what this report showed was that black and Hispanic drivers are more likely to be stopped in their vehicles by Austin police than white or Asian drivers. So are you surprised by this? No, based no, no. On what you said? No. You, you, and, you know, the more I think about that, that negative number, it, it's crazy to me that Austin is a, is a, um, a majority white city. And then to, to, to show – it's not even a, a, a – dis, um, <laughs> A disproportionate amount when it comes to white people is just like negative 26%. I still, I don't know how to say that in a way that like it makes sense to me at all. It, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it's, it's, so if, if you're white, your chances of getting, of getting pulled over and cited and arrested or whatever 
are, are negative 20 like like you have a, a negative chance of getting pulled over like that that, that maybe I'm not reading that right I have no idea but you know the the numbers are alarming to me mm-hmm. what um <laughs> I mean, I understand it anecdotally. I don't understand the math at all. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was reading that yesterday, Jesse's report, your conversation at the Public Safety yeah. Commission on Monday, and thinking about how there could be a negative chance and not. I, yeah. I had, to be honest, trouble figuring out how to display that in writing. I, it's just yeah. it's just crazy to me. Like, to, to me, that is a, that's a large benefit of white privilege. Like, you, you have negative chances of being put over. I'll take that any day of the week. Right, but here, here in Austin, if you're black, your chances go up. Where again, it's not that many of us. Yeah, doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Um, and and again, the fact that you know Chief Manley, who also is a good guy, you know, I would love to go drink a Corona with this guy. He's a, I think he, Brian, I think Brian Manley is an upstanding citizen. But as a police chief, for you to come out and say you're not surprised by the numbers, that doesn't make sense to me either. You should be appalled by this, right? Like you know the demographics of Austin, you know the demographics of your own police department. And these are not surprising to you. Like to me, that 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 says something about the mentality and the culture of Austin Police Department, right? It's just like at some point we have to say, you know what, guys, we've been screwing this up, and we have to, we must be better. And I noticed the response was sort of, well, we think maybe it'll be better next year because of all these conversations. And it's, it seems like that's sort of the ongoing response that maybe it'll be better next year. And then but, you just wait a year and you kind of forget the old report. And but we've been yeah. we but we've been having these conversations with him. Exactly. And even before we got here, I'm sure you know Nelson Linder and Lulac and exactly. all these other groups like have been doing the same thing, right? And I'm, I'm reminded of, um, you know, just next week will be the 25th year, the 25th year anniversary of the the Cedar Street Cedar Avenue incident, where it was similar to McKinney Falls, where these black teens. On Cedar Avenue, we're playing, having a good time at a party. Cops show up, guns come out, right, which led to the the creation of police union contract and um, the the CRP and the police monitor's office at the time. So 25 years ago, we were talking about this, right? So it was at some point something has to give. So again, Chief yeah. Manley, good guy, but like, how many how many more conversations do we need to have? to actually bring about some change. Do you think anything's different? I think just like as an observer, which I am, I've mm-hmm. noticed that since the police contract and since things, there has been more pushback from council at least. Like um, prior, there may be a couple skeptics of uh, how police funding worked mm-hmm. and whatever. Otherwise it was just sort of, thanks for being police, so we need mm-hmm. you. Um, so uh, is, that, is that a true perception on my part that there's more um, questioning of the police and their tactics, or I, yeah, I, I I think politically, yes, I think you know if you bring in like Scott Henson, you know who's who's a longtime CJ reformist um, and who does grits for breakfast, mm-hmm. I think he would say that politically, um, Austin is now really questioning the need and role of police and everything, um, and really mm-hmm. with the funding, right? And that I think Scott, who's been one of my mentors for the, uh, for the longest didn't think we had a chance in hell of, of, of winning the police union contract fight. And then we did. He was like, oh, well, this is new. Yeah. Um, but I think um, for the everyday people, the people that um, are not that politically savvy, I don't I, I don't think anything has changed. Like right? the I think, on the yeah, ground. I, I think in real life, in real time, I, I think it's the same results. I think um, for the people when I go to 6th Street and I see them um, being almost trampled by, you know, these horses with these these really huge out of I don't know where they get these horses from, um, like everything about police contract and the new citizens 
police review, like that doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. uh, like the people that are directly impacted are 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 over policed, I guarantee you they feel the same. Mm-hmm. So one of the real life examples is a another study that I recently just saw, and that came out from it's a long list: mm-hmm. the Texas Harm Reduction Alliance, the Grassroots Leadership, Texas Criminal Justice Coalition, and the Civil Rights Clinic at UT School of Law. Mm-hmm. And they reported on arrests resulting from drug possession of less than a gram. Mm-hmm. So. And and this is within Travis County, and this is data from between 2017 and 2018. And this study showed that a higher percentage of these arrests of people of color specifically for this crime of less than a gram of a controlled substance resulted from motor vehicle violations, Mm -hmm. minor ones. Um, So I'm wondering, is there evidence to support statistically that there is a higher chance that people of color actually have these controlled substances on their person than somebody who's white or of an Asian background? You know, I was at a um, a candidate forum for um, the district attorneys two weeks ago, and this Republican guy, and you know, I'm bipartisan. I I, I like people, whatever color they they want to represent. Um, but he literally said, "We have to educate our black and brown community members to not um, have their." you know, illegal substances on them as much as my community. Um, <laughs> you so should have gone to my high school. Right. So so <laughs> he had this notion that really like in his in his world, in his mind, yeah. black and brown people just are more prone to take their drugs outside. And so, you know, ac- according to this guy, he yes, he would say he would say that is so. Um, but I guarantee you um, where where there are drugs, people have them on them wherever. Um, I think my brothers and sisters on the west side of 35 have the equal amount of drugs on on their person. Um, but I I think the light shines brightest where there are black and brown people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't believe that black and brown people are just more um, prone to have it on them. I think we're just looking at a particular group or particular groups of people. Um, so, you know, but I could be wrong. Apparently, black and brown people just carry around illegal substances all the time. I might have some on me right now. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, I I just point that out because to me these repeated studies show that there's clearly a racial mm-hmm. disparity in policing, and I'm wondering, um, is there any low hanging fruit that APD could address, you know, to make policing, particularly traffic stops, uh, more equitable? Um. So, so two things. I think um, first and foremost, and I've been, I've, um, I finished reading this book by Daniel um, Serrett, um, Until We Reckon, and she talks about um, transformative justice and healing. I, I think the first thing that um, most people in, in my community and communities that are, are most um, affected by policing, over-policing, I should say, uh, would, would just want to hear a heartfelt apology. Um, I think a lot of time we think victims are so, like, angry or so vindictive, like when it just really hurt. Um, believe it or not, there are black and brown people that absolutely want to be friends with cops and love cops. Um, but because we keep seeing stuff like this and we see the Quentin Perkins video and, and things of that nature, um, it's like this this always fear that's it's this broken trust. Um, so I think first and foremost, if APD just really came out and honestly recognized that they have problems, as opposed to doing like these weird word judo things they do, um, I, I think I think that could go a long way. And then secondly, um, um, you know, Mimi Styles over at Measure brought up a really good point. Um, 
what they are doing in Minnesota um, is this thing called Lights Lights On Minnesota, mm-hmm. to where instead of giving people with broken tail lights tickets, they give them vouchers, right? So let's just, let, I'm not stopping you. I see you have a broken tail light. Here's a voucher to go get that fixed, right? So that's how you stop unnecessary traffic stops. And then that's how you also stop unnecessary searches from traffic stops. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not stopping you for a lawful reason, I'm just giving you a voucher. All right, done. Go on about your day. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I think it's things we can do to get creative and, and innovative, um, especially here in Austin. Right. Like we're like the thing of the South. And I think we have some of the most um, brightest and, and beautiful and awesome people in the city. And I really think Austin um, can spread like a good disease, like, you know, unlike the coronavirus and, and spread some of this goodness and love and, and innovation. Um, so, you know, I, I just think it's a matter of will. Yeah, um, I just want to touch very briefly on another topic that, you know, is on everybody's minds in City Hall, and that's the Land Development Code rewrite, which Mm. you mentioned some of your staff is actively working on. And your organization has an initiative called the Complete Communities Initiative, Mm -hmm. which, and I quote, aims to bring voices from the most impacted communities into the center of the conversation about housing and displacement. And I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about this initiative and what it involves. So I can give you a very high level because that, that's good. The, yeah, that's the, good, the, right? the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing about this is just completely over my head. But the goal is um, to to inject the voice in the housing conversation that is um, typically left out. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people that dominate this conversation are older um, home owning people, whether they're white, black, or brown, um, and we completely forget about the young. Um, not only the young, like the young um, minorities in, in the city, but also young working class white people that rent. Like Austin is, is a majority city of renters. Um, and that voice has been left out. And it's been a lot of this misinformation about the land development code um, that we really want people to understand. It's a lot of things that people want the city of Austin to do, but we can't do because of federal laws and certain state laws. So just really trying to educate people about, uh, one, why the Land Development Code is so important. Um, two, what we have now is clearly not working, so we need something new. Um, and whatever that something new is, we have to make sure we have the most um, equitable lens on that. Um, and just really doing as much as we can to stop displacement and gentrification, um, or slow it down at least, in Austin. Um, and Kendra, again, Kendra and um, JP have been doing really, really good work with that. Um, so, you know, hopefully people will be on the lookout for some of our recommendations and things we have coming out regarding complete communities. And just before we wrap it up, I went onto your guys' calendar and I saw that there's and things going on within oh, the so community. Much. So, so much. much. Um, and I just picked out one that I went and put on my personal calendar called um, Black Art Matters. Yes. It's an art show and fundraiser. And I was just wondering, can you, like, what's going on with the show? What time is it? What What are you exhibiting? What's the purpose behind it? So, so this is our third annual Black Art Matters. Um, it's really our, it's one of our biggest fundraisers. Um, it's something fun um, to get away from all the, you know, wonky policy stuff. Um, it's, it's an art show where we um, uplift artists of color in the city. Um, artists keep all of their profits from whatever they sell. We just ask for a donation at the door. Uh, we have a DJ. We, I think we're going to have some libations. Um, that's, I think that's a classy way to say that word. Um, Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's at Big Medium on February 22nd from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. 
and again, it's uh, it's free if you don't have the funds to to donate. But um, you know, any anything you could come with a penny, and, and we'll take that. But it's just really a really good opportunity. Yeah, it's a really good opportunity to support. Um, hopefully, your favorite civil civil rights and social justice organization in the city. Um, support artists of color, um, and you know, just meet some amazing people. Well. I'm looking forward to it, like I said, on my calendar. But um, that's all we have time for today in terms of our discussion. So thank you so much again, Chaz Moore, for coming and speaking with us. No, thank you all. Thank you all so much for having me. If you listeners are still curious or you want to refresh your memory, you can listen to a recording of this interview at austinmonitor.com. Now it's time for Tracy Schultz, who's on next with What's News at 2.30.